1: You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, lovely Skylight listeners.
0: Welcome back to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast series where we bring you conversations with authors from all over the place, into your bedroom, into your headphones, into your car, wherever you may be in these COVID times. uh, We wanna have literature right there alongside you. So as always, I am your host, Maddie Gobo, the events manager here at Skylight Books. Today we have a conversation about a new memoir about the creator of Captain America. I'm gonna introduce our guests in just a second, but first I wanna give uh, a quick Shout out to our virtual events, which you have probably heard me plug before. They're happening on Crowdcast. You can follow our page at crowdcast.io skylightbooks. We've got so many good things coming up uh, for August and September and beyond because virtual events are the thing of the future now <laughs> and we're full bore into them. So uh, we hope you check those out, follow our page and um, keep on listening to all of our great authors with new books coming out. Um, You know, book promotion does not sleep. So we're here to to bring you the best. All right. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce our guests today. Um, So today on the podcast, we have Eva Hagberg and Megan Margulies. Hello, Eva and Megan. Hi. Nice to have you here. Uh, I'm going to read your bios. I'm going to start with Eva. All right, Eva Hagberg is an essayist, academic, and author of the critically acclaimed memoir, How to Be Loved, a memoir of life-saving friendship, published in 2019 by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. She lives in New York City. Megan Margulis is the author of My Captain America, a granddaughter's memoir of a legendary comic book artist. Her essays have appeared in various publications, including The Washington Post, New York Magazine, Woman's Day, and Lit Hub. She lives outside of Boston with her husband and two daughters. And I just wanted to read a, a really great little blurb about Megan's book from Jonathan Lethem. Jonathan says, uh, my Captain America is a tender and heart account of coming of age and of aging and of a vanishing New York City, as well as a much-needed corrective to myths concerning the origins of some of our most iconographic pieces of 20th century popular culture. And Jonathan says, thank you, Megan Margulies, for getting it all so right. That's a pretty darn good blurb. Yeah,
2: you're very <laughs> welcome,
0: <done>, Jonathan. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Fortress of Solitude there. Um, wow, so I'm so excited to hear about the book today. And uh, Megan, you're gonna start us off with a reading. So I'm gonna go ahead and vanish into the background and let you take it away.
2: Great, thank you so much for having us. Um, the section I'm going to read um, is about the first time as a child that I realized that my beloved grandfather would one day not be here. Um, And um, just to get you acquainted with the scene, um, there's a woman named Anne and she's a friend of my mother's who picked me up from ballet class uh, because my mom had to take him to the hospital. So this is where we will begin. The moment my mom stepped out of the elevator onto his floor, she heard his TV screaming at the end of the hall. It made her heart jump into her throat. She knew something wasn't right. With her hand holding the underside of her large belly, she hurried to his door and pushed it open. The apartment was shrouded in darkness. Beneath the sounds of the TV, she heard pots and pans banging together in the kitchen. Father, she called into the void. He was muttering to himself, She flipped the light switch and saw him standing in his boxers, delirious, incoherent, trying to make soup in his pressure cooker. His stomach was distended, almost as big as hers. Father, she tried again. He continued muttering. After turning off the TV, she touched his aging forearm, covered in liver spots, trying to wake him from what seemed to be a dream. His skin was burning hot. When the ambulance came, they asked Daddy Joe who the president was. Hillary, he said. He probably had a stroke, the paramedics told my mom, as they wheeled him out his apartment door. She followed them, still clutching her belly, nervous about what the stress would do to her pregnancy. Daddy Joe was sent for x-rays of his distended stomach. It wasn't a stroke. His temperature was 106. He had an infection from a chicken bone piercing his intestines. He wouldn't have made it through the night. He's lucky you found him, the doctor told my mom. I followed Anne through the halls of Roosevelt Hospital, passing a long row of curtains and gurneys, some with people lying on them. I kept my eyes to the ground. The sight of all the sick people and the overwhelming sense of pain and suffering made my stomach turn. Soon I could hear my mom's voice, and then Daddy Joe's. Did you hear what the doctor said about your prescription? She asked him from behind a blue curtain. Huh? Oh, yes. Yes, he answered tiredly. Anne pulled the back the curtain and Daddy Joe looked up at me from the bed, another curtain separating him from his coughing roommate. My mom sat beside him in a plastic chair, her leather backpack on her lap between her interwoven fingers and her stomach. We were both in hell. Hi baby, like my new dress? Daddy Joe asked, referring to his blue hospital gown. I smiled, but it was only to please him. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to see him so vulnerable. I had the growing urge to turn and run from him. Here in the hospital where I was born, I understood just how human he was, how delicate a life could be, no matter how loved the person was. Earlier that year on April Fool's Day, I had told my teacher that my grandfather died. We were standing in the middle of Central Park's East Meadow and he put his hand on my shoulder. I'm so sorry, he almost whispered. I'm just kidding, April Fools. His face dropped, that's not funny. I was mortified, but I was also incredibly ignorant of the fact that Daddy Joe could leave us at any time. It seemed so impossible that I said those words without fear. Seeing Daddy Joe in the hospital was a surefire way to slap some sense into me. Just one more night alone and he would have been gone. At the time, my experience with death was limited. I had never met my grandmother, Harriet. She was simply a void of a grandmother that I was born with. My paternal grandfather had died when I was only four years old, though I remembered visiting him in the upstairs bedroom of my grandparents' house, where he was hooked up to an oxygen tank to help him breathe through his lung cancer. SUNY Stony Brook had put together an art exhibit after his death. And my dad had held me as he walked from one piece of art to the next. My legs were wrapped around his waist, my head resting on his shoulder while I sleepily clutched a lovey, a small piece of rainbow cloth, and sucked my thumb. My paternal great-grandmother, Sally, had died around that time as well. I knew her only from a few visits down to Miami, where I slept with my parents in the living room of her condo, terrified of the most intense thunderstorm I had ever experienced. It was also from the balcony of her condo that I saw my first double rainbow. When she died, it was one of the few times I'd ever seen my dad cry. He sat on the edge of my twin size bed to tell me she was gone, next to my stuffed bear that I'd named Bucky. I was more upset by the tears rolling down his face. The sorrow that my dad showed for the loss of his grandmother seemed a bit strange to me. I held the belief that unless it was a parent or sibling, The death of a relative, especially an older one, shouldn't be that intense. But as I got older, the years with Daddy Joe piling on top of one another, our bond growing stronger, I worried that I was wrong. With the new reality that he would one day die and leave us, my love for him began to terrify me. A few weeks after the chicken bone incident, Daddy Joe and I sat across from each other in Ralph's Ristorante Italiano. It was one of our favorite spots, only a short walk from his apartment. While we waited for her food, I doodled on the white paper placemat with crayons the waiter had given me. Daddy Joe watched me, his long fingers tapping the table. Let me have one of those, he said, taking the blue crayon. He began to sketch the head of Captain America. Although it wasn't one of his fancy pencils, his hand still moved swiftly, loosely, confidently. This to me was the epitome of a true artist. I wished that I could move over the paper like that, but instead the lines of the house I'd drawn were rigid and overly thought out. I decided to try again, flipping over the placemat and began to sketch Daddy Joe's face, starting with his large frame glasses, moving my hand as quickly as possible. He laughed when he realized what I was doing. Megan, don't you know I'm too ugly to draw? The waiter arrived with our sodas, predictably smiling down at Daddy Joe's sketch. It was now filling out the bold lines in color, making it appear to pop off the page. Wow, that's great, the waiter said. Are you a Captain America fan, Daddy Joe asked him. His crayon paused at Cap's shoulder. Of course. Well then, Daddy Joe said, signing his name in the bottom corner. This is yours from the creator of Captain America. I put down my crayon and continued to study Daddy Joe as I sipped my Pepsi. I thought of him on that hospital bed. What a relief it was to have him back, to be sitting across from him at our favorite restaurant again. But the fear of losing him the more was more than a newly planted seed. It had roots now, threatening to take hold. From that point on, there was hesitation to my visits, a reluctance to allow myself the comfort of his apartment, and the familiarity of his dry humor. I foolishly wondered if there was a way to keep him from meaning too much, to find the distance that other grandchildren had with their grandparents, but it wasn't possible to go back in time. The damage, the love was already done.
3: I read that right before we got on and it was amazing hearing you read it. And I think the questions that I always have are about feelings and how you feel, but, and I have a lot of other questions about ideas that I wrote down, but how did it feel to read that out loud?
2: You know, I've had to practice reading these sort of scenes, um, and I still need to practice talking about them because (laughs) I get very emotional, obviously. Mm you know, I have to sort of separate myself a little bit to get through the reading, but it is, it's really intense because I'm re- i am talking about something that I feared so deeply as a child and into adulthood that has happened. Mm-hmm. And I got through it and, you know, I'm fine, but to just revisit that has been pretty intense. Um, and yeah, that was something that I I really discovered in writing this book was just how much I feared not just losing him, but loving him too much, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why I'm so glad you're here to talk with me because I know you've grappled with similar things um, that I, you know, we read in your book. So,
3: yeah, I mean, I think so. I was just taking notes as you were reading in the first note that I wrote down is love is grief. And I realized, I think I meant to write like love and grief, but I wrote love is grief. Yeah. And I think that's one of, so let me back up a little bit. One, I love your book. Two, congratulations. Three, it's been amazing to see it go from proposal to proposal that you're submitting to, you know, it's just been incredible to sort of know you peripherally as this process is happening. Um, And I'm just like, so stoked for you. And I'm so stoked for everybody else who gets to read it, because it's really, it's such a compelling story. And it's so, I mean, what I loved about it was just like, That feeling of being a kid and growing up and I could see New York and I could see your family and I could like I know the chicken bone was in his intestines but I feel like I could like like you're so good at vividly describing and people that aren't writers don't know how hard that is but it's so hard and you did such an amazing job with that um so I love that and then I also just love that really to me this felt like a portrait of a kind of relationship that is, is unusual in its intensity. And, and a second note that I wrote was about like, who we are culturally allowed to love as deeply as we love them, right? And who we're allowed to grieve. And so um, if you're cool with it, I kind of want to get into that a little bit about that. You know, love is, love is grief, is love grief, right? Is a condition of, of loving grief. And I think your last line, is so beautifully rendered where you're like, the damage, the love, right, was already done, that these things are really tied together. Mm -hmm. Um, And then maybe you can talk a little bit about kind of the process of accepting the role that this person has had in your life and continues to have in your life, because I believe, of course, that the dead are still with us in many ways, so. i like to think so, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, so can you talk a little bit about I guess your kind of emotional and literary journey towards being like i'm going to write about this relationship with my grandfather and i'm going to talk about love and grief
2: you know i had written about him many years ago when i was in my mfa program my thesis was more of a coming of age memoir just focused on myself and growing up in new york and there was one chapter about my grandfather, which, looking back, seems ridiculous because he played such a huge role. Um, but I think maybe subconsciously I was just not ready to fully go there yet, um, and that embarrassingly was 12 years ago. Uh,
3: <laughs> but over a Wait, day- is that a long time or a short time? That is a long time. Yeah, that is a long time. I don't know. We're old now. That's a short time.
2: So I'm trying
3: not to. <laughs> Sorry, I'll speak for myself. I'm old. That seems like a short time. I'm,
2: I'm still young.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah,
2: so I think, you know, when I started focusing on my writing more again in the last few years, and I knew that I wanted to write a memoir and I knew that I wanted, uh, I still wanted to, write about my growing up in New York and moving to the suburbs as an adult and what that meant to me. But there was just this huge piece missing. And I had so many people say, write about your grandfather. I mean, come on, he's this iconic figure. He's larger than life. How could, you know, he meant so much to you. How can you not? And it was sort of, there were two things that scared me. It was one, just diving into that grief and just going there. But it was also a little bit scary to um, sort of let him take over the story in a way. Um, It was was hard to balance how much of my story and how much of his story I could successfully tell um, but, you know, it's done and I'm actually, I'm really happy that I was pushed to make him more of a focus of it. Um, cause now I sort of have this, it's sort of like a present for him. You know what I mean? Like this is for him and it'll always be here. And I'd like to think that he knows that it's happened and I'll leave it at that because I will start crying. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Which is like, great. We're human animals who have emotions. Crying is very good for your lungs. That's what I always tell them. But it is so
2: good for a podcast.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Maddie can agree or disagree. Maddie's being, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Well, is prep. it a successful podcast <laughs> if nobody cries? No. Um, so I, th- I mean, that that leads to another question that I had, which is like, I mean, did he... So when I was writing about my friend who was dead, part of the writing process was really this resurrection that I didn't even realize I was doing at the time. I just, she felt so alive to me in the course of writing the book and I could hear her and I could feel her. And I remember there was this... um, sort of delusion, you know, that she was in some way still alive. And then when I finished writing the book, I started being such a jerk to everybody. And my friend was like, dude, what is going on? Like, you're not normally a jerk to Starbucks baristas. And I was like, they need better training, you know, like just being such an asshole. And finally, I was like, oh, I'm realizing that my friend is dead, right? Like, I'm realizing that the book actually did not resurrect her. And so I'm really curious to hear about your experience writing about somebody who you knew was dead when you started writing the book, right? Like, you know, the whole time. Yeah. did you ever forget? I mean, how alive did he feel to you?
2: I didn't forget, but it was just really comforting to sort of bring him back in this way and to put so much focus of my life on him again. I was watching old home videos. I was you know, listening to these interviews and reading interviews with him and reading his book. Um, And it's funny because just the other day, it just sort of hit me that I'm done writing the book and now what, right? Like, I, you know, my next writing project won't be about him. um, And that's going to be very weird and hard. And, you know, there, there was a part of me was like, holy shit, like now, is he really gone now? Because you know, we have the book, you know, which I'm so grateful for, but to not have him be the focus of my everyday writing process is definitely going to be something that I have to come to terms with.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, now, you know, if you're a jerk to Starbucks baristas, that's why you can forgive yourself.
2: (laughs) I'll take it out of my husband. That's easy.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Um, he, I mean, what's amazing is that he, Like I, reading the book, knew that he died and I forgot, you know, so I think as an author, of course you don't forget, but I just want to say as a reader, he's, I mean, you just portray him so specifically and so well. And I'm curious about the process behind that. Like, how did you, as a writer, sorry, this is a craft question, but We have to do it. I have to do it because I want to know. How did you go about translating? You know, like when we know somebody so well, I think it's really hard to describe them in a way, but I feel like you captured his voice. You captured his vibe. you captured what he cares about. Like, I feel like I could pick him out of a theoretical lineup in some way. Like how as an author did you go about constructing so specific a personality on the page?
2: Well, I think I was really lucky to have all the material that I do to pull from, including those home videos. And, you know, I would get the kids with the sitter or send them to school, and I would just sit in front of the TV and watch these videos for, you know, hours on end. And it was just like being with them again. So it just sort of sparked um, just... I don't know, it, it was really helpful to have that because then I was able to put it on the page and I didn't have to pull so much from memory um, that I think most people normally would. Um, and you know, he's, well, at least his character is a public figure. So there were many interviews with him and videos on YouTube. And so in a way, you know, I cheated. I'm, I'm not that good at the craft of it. It was cheating. It's not <laughs> true. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think I just, I'm a very imaginative person and I'm in my head a lot. So I would just sort of try and hear him and see him and just pick out those moments um, and the aspects of his humor that were my favorite and just put that on the page. Um, you know, after finishing the book, I, there are moments where I'm like, oh, I forgot to put in this part or, you know, he used to say this and it was hilarious, but um, hopefully what I got in
3: there um, does him justice. Yeah. So just when you described his character, like sort of his public persona, that made me think of another thing that I really loved about the book was how, on the one hand, it is this kind of historical document. It's about a historical figure who did a a big thing in American culture and it's about New York City during a time and, um, and that's all really cool. But what really propelled me forward was never like Captain America is cool, but I have no, I didn't pick up the book because of Captain America, right? I picked up the book because you had written it and I wanted to read it. Um, and what I found so compelling was like your coming of age story, right? And so I'm curious about how you navigated I guess the relationship between writing about somebody that maybe a lot of people are attached to in a certain way and then also just having such a clear narrative spine where I was like this is Megan's story the whole way through right this is such a story of like Megan growing up and you realizing like as you read in the section like okay wait like love is a atta- is is attached to sorrow in some way right so it really felt like the story was yours i mean how did you navigate They're not necessarily opposing polls, they're just different polls.
2: No, they're they're very different. And this has been a struggle from day one. I mean, just from the very beginning of this process of finding an agent and then finding a publisher and who do we market this to? Because Captain America, I think obviously will take the spotlight of the book and the story which is amazing and wonderful, and I want him to get recognition and I want people to know that Joe Simon co-created Captain America, and it was not Stanley. Um, <laughs> you know that was a very important part of it, but I also i'm I'm happy that you found something to relate to and enjoy in the book as well, because that was so important to me that if you're not into comic books, like I hope that you can find. Um, something in this book to make you feel something, because there are these sort of universal themes of love and loss, and um, I'm very lucky to have Captain America as a part of it, and my grandfather, but, um, you know, that, yes, that, that was something I was, I was really hoping that even, you know, even people who aren't into comic books will be able to
3: enjoy it. Um, so yeah, you. I mean you right? like I don't care about comic books at all. I loved it um. I'm,
2: I'm not even you know <laughs> whenever someone from you know a comic book website or whatever they say you No, know, would you want to talk? I'm always like I need you to know. And I'm not a comic book expert um, Because I love this man and mm. you know, I'm so proud of his creations, but no I, I wasn't reading comic books my whole life and which is awful probably, but.
3: Uh, no, we get yeah. to have <laughs> our own interests. So I wanna sort of go back to this idea of like who we're allowed to love and convert, you know, and then who we're allowed to yeah. grieve intensely. And um, right, cause we both wrote books that are about somebody who was not a parent or a sibling who died, whose death I think in some way, you know, ruptured our lives or significantly impacted our lives and how did you start to accept that you could love a grandfather this much and then how did you i guess write this incredible because the way that it's written i feel no doubt right, as a reader, I'm like, oh, of course your grandfather is this person who you love so tremendously. And in a way, I think you sort of lay the groundwork to give permission, which I think is such a beautiful thing that memoirists can do, is give permission to other people. I think that's one of our jobs, um, is to like go first and say the thing. And then, right, people are like, oh, I'm allowed to feel like that. Did you feel, I mean, how did you feel doing that? I think I was sort of faking it a little bit. And
2: it wasn't until I started telling people about the book um, that people would sort of not come forward, but, um, you know, say, oh, I was so close with my grandfather and I'm, you know, I'm excited to read this because he was like a big part of my life. And I didn't hear a lot of that growing up, which I think sort of fed into my insecurity with the intensity of my love for him. Um, but now seeing that other people have had this similar kind of love for a grandparent or someone who isn't their parent or, um, has been really comforting. And I'm, you know, and I'm so happy to know that there's sort of like this tribe of us that, um, we can
3: all be sad together, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Totally. <laughs> yeah it's so interesting too i mean the way that people will try and minimize somebody's love right it's like all to make themselves feel safer and i remember learning that from my friend allison is she had cancer and people would say well okay let me let me make you somehow different and there's something that you must have done that gave you cancer and it's the same way with like when we grieve somebody they'll say well you know at least it wasn't at least it right at least it wasn't your father at least it wasn't
2: right or he lived a long life that's uh, a big one for, which I understand. And I'm very grateful that he, but, um, it definitely doesn't lessen. God, we're, we're just animals. We're, you know, yeah. like there's, I don't know why we do this to ourselves where we make all these rules, but we do. And, we do. um, you know, that, that was one of the things that I loved about your book as well was this sort of permission to love someone with such intensity and hold on to their memory um, so much after they die, you know, and just find them in the world for forever. Like, I don't plan on ever giving up on that idea that he is in some way here. You know, if it's with a cardinal, I see cardinals and I tell my daughter, that's Daddy Joe, and you know, maybe I'm crazy mom, but, um, I think it makes us both feel better and, you know, it gives her a connection to him and hello, Captain America, we see it everywhere. So, you know, she never got to meet him. Um, but we have that to sort of keep him present. I like, I like to call it sort of our family's coat of arms.
3: Like that's it. I love that. That's amazing. Why do you think we have such a hard time Expressing grief. Oh, God, I don't know. I just,
2: you know, there's probably this idea that we have to be strong at all times, and grief is seen as weakness. And but is it? You know, I, I, I think in a way, grief is bravery, right? Because we're sort of letting ourselves be vulnerable and doing something scary Mm -hmm. and you know I talk about being terrified of my love for him and now as an adult and now that he is gone um I'm so happy that I had that Mm -hmm. as hard as it was to lose I'm so grateful
3: yeah I think that's one of the so I just um As you and the rest of the internet knows, I just left my marriage like a little over a year ago. And um, after I left, this is relevant to your book, I swear. I was like, you know, I'm never gonna love again. And like, this is bullshit. And like, you know, whatever, all that. And then I fell in love a couple months ago, like fully, just full on, like just massively in love. And I am so terrified. Like every minute I am terrified. And I cry all the time, not all the time, but I cry about my childhood and like, it's just so weird and it's so intense and I keep thinking, God, this would just be easier if I could just not be this in love, right? Like, I mean, I right, think- Right,
2: and we always right? do this and I would laugh at friends when they were dating someone who would be like, I'm just going to keep it casual. I'm, you know, I'm not going to let him mean too much to me and I'm like, bullshit, like you can't do that. You can't turn it off. So good luck to you because you can't <laughs>
3: i know i mean i I like sort of half-heartedly tried for a second and then i was like no but i loved rereading i mean i loved reading your book and then i loved rereading the section and then i loved hearing the section because it reminded me this is the eternal price for love right grief is just the eternal price and the more we love the more we grieve and um and i just love the reminder that i got from your book that like it is so worth it and in those moments of grief, that is not necessarily comfort. Like, it's not like I'll be in deep grief and be like, but at least I loved. It's like, this seems like the worst idea ever. Like, why did I let myself, you know, why did I let myself love Alison so much when I knew she was dying? You know, that was such a goofy decision. I could have just been like, okay, have a a nice time, let me bring you soup." But instead I just got as close to her as possible um, and then grieved tremendously. But I just love, there's sort of, Another thing I loved about your book is it really, it titrates the intensity. So I realized like, I'm always trying to be as intense as possible, but people should know there's a lot of lightness in your book. There's a lot of levity. There's a lot of like, it's sort of like skipping over, you know, the surface of a lake and there's like so much to look at and it's like so cool. And then you just have these moments where it's like one sentence or one line where I'm like, oh shit, like Megan knows what's up. You know, like Megan has been to the void, which I love. Um, and I'm always so envious cause I feel like I'm so like a bummer, you know, like so intense and so heavy, which whatever, but like your book was so, I, I, I feel like there's a way in which these moments of intensity and moments of depth really kind of came in at the perfect moment. And did you think about kind of titrating them in? Did you think about pacing? Like how were those issues kind of worked out on the writerly plane as well as the human plane?
2: You know, I just feel like that sort of represents who my grandfather was in a way. He was just hysterically funny and that is just a big part of our family is humor and finding the humor in really even shitty situations. Um, but then, you know, I had to sort of find these um sad moments of his life and focus on them a little bit because he he was a human being he wasn't all jokes and you know comic books and you know there was some tragedy for him you know losing his wife so early and um so yeah i think sort of the whole thread of the book follows um that a little bit where, you know, I wanted people to see this humorous side of him, what I loved about him so much, but also what this man went through. And I mean, I guess that's life in general, right? It's not all daisies and jokes, but.
3: um, Well, I think a lot of people try and portray it like that. Right. I mean, this goes back to the, like, why are we afraid to, it's like, why are we afraid to be complex, complicated? Right. Humans.
2: Yeah, and I really wanted to make sure that I showed him as a complex human because I didn't want it to be like a book about... I loved my grandfather so much and he was so wonderful and that's the end of it. Goodbye. You know, he was a human being and um, these characters that he created came, you know, Captain America came from a place of anger and fear and what was happening in Europe and... um, So what are we learning? The moral of the story is that grief and crappy things bring beauty, right? Mm. Yes. Yes. I love that. Yeah. You know, if I didn't have him and love him so much and, you know, losing him was so difficult, but but then I wouldn't have these little moments of beauty in my day of like seeing the Cardinal and wondering if it's him or seeing a Captain America t-shirt and wondering if that's him. You know, I touch on this in the book, but when I took my first pregnancy test, I was wearing a Captain America t-shirt and um, it was a successful pregnancy. And, you know, it was my first daughter and I like to, even if it's silly, I like to think that, you know, he had some hand in that, and, you know.
3: Yeah, I mean, I fully, like, my grandmother died three months ago, and then I met this person that I'm in love with, and I kept thinking, like, god, I wish my grandmother could have known, and then I was talking to this, like, witch that I work with a lot, and she was like, oh, I think, and I was like, oh, she sent him, I'm pretty sure, you know, which, like, sounds a little weird but i think we're all a little bit okay with the mystical and i was like like, i i spoke to a medium while i was writing the book so okay great
2: um Uh, after he died and while i was writing the book so that's awesome down for it yeah
3: yeah um (laughs) yeah mediums are great uh i talked to one when i was writing mine too because i didn't know if i should use allison's real name or not and so we asked her Mm -hmm. she was like it's not my name anymore so you know it's good. it's good. to check in with the people that have died if they're cool with their books. Yeah. Did you ask him about your um, the book?
2: I didn't mention the book, and she said something like, "He's he's showing him your writing. Like he's showing writing, and and he's very proud of what you're writing. And you know something and I was office like, holy shit. <laughs> but yeah, no, I am sure there's some people listening to this who have rolled their eyes at it. But <laughs> you do try and. Make it what we want to hear a little bit, but of course,
3: yeah, no, exactly. Um, so the book comes out August 4th,
2: August 4th,
3: yeah. So we have like 10 days, something like that. I'm trying not to, <laughs> right? Sorry, <laughs> this is me being like, let's get, it. how do you feel? I mean,
2: I'm, I you know, it's nerve wracking. I'm excited i but i'm also sort of like this is real like this isn't really happening right i just got my book my actual book
3: i saw on social media it's amazing
2: and you know i had my husband left work early so that he could come home and watch me open the box and i was you know about to cut open into it and i was like i don't want to i don't want to open this because this is my one time in my life opening box of my first book ever and yeah it's yeah I'm very excited but Mm -hmm. I think it's sort of like it's not going to feel real until it's actually out in the world Mm -hmm. and it might not
3: feel I mean it didn't it still doesn't mine still doesn't feel real right for what it's worth it's been a year and a half I'm like
2: I've been taking note of all the the Advice on what you're going to feel during publication after I think I'm ready. But if not, I'll send you an anxiety ridden email.
3: <laughs> you're definitely ready, and you can also email me anytime. Okay. Um, I feel like I would want to talk to you for a million more hours about this, but I also feel like maybe this is a good place to turn things back over to Maddie.
2: Thank you so much for oh, in on thank this. Thank you. It was a- pleasure to talk to you and I'm you know I was really hoping you would be down for talking about the book because I did I did want to focus a little bit on the non-comic book side of it Um, so this was really great
3: oh my god it's just so it's such a great book I hope everybody buys it please buy it from an indie bookstore like skylight (laughs) this is the time now more than ever it's
2: there's that meme I'm old is it a meme um, where <laughs> a city burning and it says the world right now. And then it shows Will Ferrell, like yelling into the void and writers, does somebody want to <laughs> buy a book?
3: <laughs> what else are we going to do?
2: I was by the, the talented Maggie Downs, I think but that was, that's it. amazing.
3: Yes. Yeah, so I will plug your book. Everybody should buy it immediately. I'm Pre-order it. Buy the book. Yes. Yes. Yes, the world is always burning and it has always been burning also.
2: And we need Captain America for this anyway, right?
3: Oh, 100%. And we need to be reminded that like pain is just a thing that's gonna happen and love and beautiful things are everywhere. Like we need to be reminded of the red cardinals, you know, and this book reminds us. So I hope so.
0: Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Oh, that was so great. I love how you wrap that up with a nice little red cardinal on top. Beautifully done, Eva. Thank you. Um, Megan, thank you so much for sharing your work with us today. I, I I know it does seem minor in the scope of all that's going on, but you know, books are our companions right now and, and it isn't insignificant to talk about them and to celebrate them and to tell people to go out and find find that companion that they need because you know we can't hang out with each other, so we might as well hang out with your grandpa in a book. Um, so yeah, I I just want to say like, your book's important. And and thank you so much for writing it. And thank you for talking about it and, um, and coming on the podcast today.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. All right. So we're gonna say our goodbyes. Is there anything else you want to say to our listeners before we bid farewell?
2: Just hang in there, everybody. <laughs>
0: And keep reading all right thank you so much our guests today were eva hagberg and megan margulis megan's new book is my captain america we hope that you place an order for that with us at skylightbooks.com comes out august 4th and um, congratulations again on the book megan and eva thank you so much for your great questions hopefully we can host you in person sometime soon, maybe for the next, the next go round. Um, so we hope to see you there.
1: Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.